What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance. And of course, we're talking about business. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away. I refuse to be the man I was yesterday. Gotta put my best foot forward and elevate. And before we introduce today's guest, my man Eric from Hunts Vegas, who do you have for our Black Man Sunday Spotlight? Hey, Corey. Hey, thanks for the intro, man. And you know, Hunts Vegas is always going to be Hunts Vegas, number one city in the in Alabama in the in the country, of course. You know, just a little side note, I had to let you guys know. But today's spotlight is going to be focused on on my brother that we all know and love to be, love listening to, and that's my brother Ice Cube, who was born by the name of O'Shea Jackson. Which was he was born in June 15, 1969, in Los Angeles, California. Now, Ice Cube, again, is an American rapper and actor whose membership in his seminal gangster rap called NWA. Cube is known by his hip hop critics and fans as one of the greatest and most influential rappers of all time. To many others, he's also best known as a television and movie star. Now, Jackson, or Ice Cube, he wanted to say, was born in the Baldwin Hills neighborhood in South Central LA. His mother, named Dolores, was a hospital clerk, and his father, Jose, worked as a groundskeeper at the University of California. Ice Cube has been credited by his elder brother, Clyde, with the conception of his stage name. When they were younger, Clyde threatened to put his younger brother in the freezer until he became an Ice Cube. So that's where the name Cube came from. Now, Ice Cube was credited, again, for his collaborative uh, uh, album, NWA and the Posse, which included the retitled Boys in the Hood, Eight Ball, which was written by Cube and Dope Man, which features vocals by Ice Cube. Now, though the album features songs by artists who were not members of NWA, the record company, uh, which was not of NWA's own Ruthless Records, marketed it as an NWA album, bringing in the group's most recognizable leading um, recognition leading up to the 1998 release of the album straight out of Compton. Again, that's my spotlight today. Ice Cube, O'Shea Jackson. Now back to you, Corey. Eric, you've been really on the music tip a lot lately. I think like the last four has been music artists, but I love it, bro. I love it, man. All the way out of Hunts Vegas, you know, even Orlando, I think we're in the top five best cities to live. I think y'all like number 10 now. Y'all not number one anymore. (laughs) So they say, so they say. Yeah, man. But hey, hey, man, thanks again for that Black Men Sunday spotlight. But today it's time to introduce today's guest. We have Wheeler Coleman. Y'all are wondering who is that? This brother is a CEO. He's the founder of EC United. That's a Black-owned certified consulting and technology firm. This brother has over 30 years of IT experience. I did see one thing interesting that this brother is a Little League baseball coach in the south side of Chicago as well. But here's what's interesting about this brother's business, man. In six years, this brother went from 1 million to 10 million in total assets, over 200 employees as well. I mean, come on now, that's pretty quick. So without further ado, Willa Coleman, brother, welcome to Black Men Sundays. How you doing? Hey, hey, Corey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So let's dive right in. EC United, Executive Consultants United, Black-owned certified consultant and technology firm. Can you just break that down to what that is for us? Let me pause for a second, right? And then I'll break it down for you. I just want to let you know. So I spent 33 years working for large corporate. I worked my way up from an entry-level software developer all the way up to a chief technology officer and a two-time CIO. 
So I spent a lot of years getting groomed by corporate America to run large enterprise systems, technology man, writing software, and then managing people, managing budgets, $300 million budgets, $756 million budget, running and working with 2,000 employees working for me. And so I was groomed by corporate America. So in 2016, we started up EC United, Executive Consultants United, with the intent to work with and for large enterprise companies all the way down to our local community centers. Because each entities, each set of entities and all in between, they need to elevate their technology. And so we provide organizations with technology solutions. We do projects, strategies, assessments, cybersecurity, you name it. We also sell technology and we also do the contingent labor. We provide cybersecurity specialists. And so with that, we've got three towers of offering that makes it easy for organizations to do business with EC United. So when we talk about businesses, especially businesses in our black community, what can we do to drive business growth? Well, so first of all, I, I'm a big proponent of no matter what business you have, you need to be taking a closer look at technology and trying to leverage technology to help you grow your operation. And so you think about this for a second, technology is so pervasive. You can't tell me of an industry that hasn't been adversely impacted by tech or positively impacted by technology. You just can't tell me because they don't exist. Name an industry technology has impacted, whether it's healthcare, whether it's the music industry, the movie industry, you name it, technology has impacted it. And so we try to encourage all of our customers to take a closer look at emerging technology and see how they can leverage emerging technology to get advantage over their, their competitors and those that adopt technology. And they, if they do it in the right way, they will get the competitive advantage over their competition. And so we want, as a company, we want to disrupt the status quo. Every organization should be thinking about how can they disrupt the status quo. So let me, Brother Corey, let me give you an example of disrupting the status quo. A while back, we used to all run out to a local box store called Blockbusters and buy our movies or rent our movies for the weekend. We would get two or three of them. I remember standing in line and hoping the best movies that, that I wanted to rent with my family were available. But technology changed to a point where we allowed movies to be streamed right to the household. A little organization called Netflix got a hold of that technology and they start providing services to their clients to say, hey, guess what? You no longer have to mail back your movies or request your movies or put them in a little red box. We can stream it to your house and you can watch it like you're in the theater. So they made that transition because the technology changed to a point where it became readily available for people to stream videos and stream movies in their household. But there was another large company that was out there called Blockbusters. And Blockbusters had a lot of investment in real estate 
And they said, nah, nah, this is never going to fly. People are going to always want to come get their movies. And guess what? One company adjusted to the change of technology, leapfrogged the competition, and literally put them out of business. And so we need to tell all of our listeners that are running businesses to keep track of the changing technology that's out there. Because one day it's going to come to your corner and it's going to change your industry and you want to be on the forefront of it and not be adversely impacted like Blockbuster. Where did the vision for EC United come from? I know you had the experience, but I just want to hear the vision, where that came from and how it generated that much income in less than six years. Yeah. So, so brother Corey, we've been blessed, man. And uh, we've been blessed to by, by the God, the man upstairs, we've been blessed to have and surround ourselves with great individuals that are not only skilled technicians, but, but awesome people, right? And so when you've got that kind of alignment, it's easy to make an impact, right? And so you got to have a vision. And, and so for a long time, man, I used to watch how, how our brothers and sisters as running small businesses, medium-sized businesses, even large corporations struggling to do the fundamental as it relates to technology. And so, uh, and it used to bother me, right? Now I was in corporate America making my money and my allegiance was with the companies that I was working for, but I would see how, the, how our people would struggle with the fundamentals related to technology. See, technology for many of us is foreign. We're afraid of it. And, and quite frankly, we've got to change that dialogue. We've got to make sure that people understand if you apply technology appropriately, you can go to the next level. And so when I stood up EC United, I had my share of naysayers. There were people that were looking at me saying, dude, do you know what you're doing? Now think about that for a second, Brother Corey. I spent 33 years working for large corporate. The largest company I worked for was a $60 billion company, 17,000 employees. One employee had the title chief technology officer, and that was me. And then when I stood out and decided to stand up BC United, people were looking at me saying, do you know what you're doing, right? Now, if I believed that if my skin was a different color, I would have probably gotten a different reaction. My skin was a different color. I also believe that people would have been knocking down the door to say, hey, how can I get in and how can I do business with you? Or how can I have you do business with me, right? And so um, we've always believed in ourselves and it starts there, that we could take technology and help others go to the next level. We can help others mature their operations, their capabilities, and leverage technology to grow their operations. I want to come back to the core of your, your show when you talk about generational wealth, building wealth. So, Brother Corey, I can sit back and take a poll, get 10 people in the room, instead name 10 African-American, name 10 rich African-Americans. And most people will go to our sports, our athletes, our artists. They will name the Kanye West, the Michael Jordan, the Magic Johnsons, the Jay-Z, the Rihannas of the world, the Oprah Winfrey's, 
and all of them are superstars in their own industry. But it's ironic, and, and they all are household names, but it's ironic, we've got two African-American males that are richer than all those folks I named. One by the name of Robert F. Smith, who runs at an investment portfolio company that concentrate, they concentrate on investing in technology software. This brother, Robert Smith, net worth is $8 billion. His company net worth is over $94 billion and he's got over 50% ownership of that company. So he was an unknown entity until a few years back when he decided to forego or forgive the student loans from a class at Morehouse. And everybody running around scrambling and Googling this guy said, who is this Robert Smith and how can he pay off all these black boys loans? And so some people would classify him as a financial guy. Well, guess what? His financial portfolio is behind Microsoft, Google, Oracle, Robert Smith. He has the fourth largest technology portfolio in the world, a brother that should be a household name worth $8 billion. Then the second brother that's on that list is what I would call a pure technology guy. His name is David Stewart. He runs a company that's called Worldwide Technology. Worldwide Technology does the same work that my company does. They sell equipment, they perform technology projects, and they do contingent labor. His billion last year, I mean, his business last year did $17 billion. And this brother been running this company for 32 years. His personal net worth is over $6 billion. So let me tell you, when we talk about building wealth in the African-American communities, we got two brothers that are in technology and most people don't know who they are. Most businesses, or most newspapers are not talking about him. Most magazines are not talking about him. Most broadcasts are not talking about these two brothers. But we should be putting them on a pedestal. They're in technology, which we're afraid of as a people. And they're the most wealthiest African-Americans in the U.S. And so Kanye West, he's worth over $2 billion. These brothers are three times, four times richer than Kanye West. Rihanna. They're two, three times richer than Rihanna. Michael Jordan, they're six times richer than Michael Jordan. And they're in technology. So let's talk about building wealth. First of all, there's over 700,000 open IT jobs in the US alone. We need to be talking to our young brothers and sisters about getting into technology. You need to study technology. We can take care, technology can take care of your fundamentals. They can feed you. They can give you money. You can make enough money to feed yourself, right? You make enough money to house yourself. You can make enough money to save and invest and buy a house and do the fundamentals as it relates to building out wealth. But then on top of that, and the role models are already in place, those entrepreneurs that have decided to invest into technology 
and to grow a technology company, they've turned around and became billionaires. And so we need to start planting the seeds that we got these two brothers, uh, uh, Smith is 62, Stewart is 78. So we need to say, where, where, where are young brothers going that's going to replace these guys, right? But the only way we're going to get replacement of a Dave Stewart and a Robert Smith is that we've got to invest in our young brothers and sisters and make sure they're learning technology so they can get creative. And then if they open up a job or if they open up a company, they can leverage technology, no matter what company they have, they can leverage technology to leapfrog the competition and then dominate whatever industry they're in. Yeah, actually, this is Kalali out of, uh, out of Maryland. Just to let you know, my background is, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in public policy, but over the last five or six years, I've really been focused in uh, the field of uh, IT accessibility. So I was wondering, what do you think of the integration of the principles of accessibility and or human-centered design and technology? Is that something that you've been looking for, uh, looking at in your field, or, or are you mainly focused on uh, more like cybersecurity and things like that? Well, so, so, so remember, I, I, you know, our company is a holistic IT consultant company. So we help organizations where they are. Mm -hmm. and, and nine times out of 10, if you've got uh, a technology need, we can help, right? And so, uh, you know, just to keep it really real, you know, we find opportunities and then we find experts to do that work. Mm -hmm. um, so when you talk about accessibility, COVID revealed how far behind we are as a people, right? And so it, and it revealed that, boy, it's not easy to just work from home or do online learning. You got a family of four and you barely have the bandwidth coming in your household for one device, let alone four kids or three kids with uh, a parent that's trying to work from home. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the bandwidth to accommodate all those devices. And so COVID revealed that we've got some fundamental issues in terms of availability of technology in our communities. So the fiber that's not, it may, may or may not be running through our streets, but boy, the affordability becomes an issue. See, I'm radical when it comes to this man. I think I think Wi-Fi should be free nationwide. Now the telecoms wouldn't like me talking about that and they'll probably cut me off or not do business with me. But the reality is, is that that should be fundamental. So we got kids that can't learn from home because either they don't have devices or they don't even have Wi-Fi capabilities. So that's a big issue. And so even when we send our kids to school, their devices are old, their network is old, they don't even have a pleasant experience at school. And so why do our kids get frustrated with, with technology? That's because they don't have a pleasant experience with it. Now, that's a portion of our population. There's another portion of our population that has gotten into gaming. And to game, you've got to have Wi-Fi. You've got to have, right, you know, a high-powered device. And so it's really, it's really ironic. We've got a portion of our population that has gotten off into technology, but that's all technology means to them is gaming. 
but they've got to figure out and realize that technology can be applied to any other interest they have and use that technology to further their cause, to open up businesses, as well as make uh, technology available for the average person. So I don't know if I answered your question in its totality, but I will tell you this, people that are in rural areas, people that are poor, people that are typically of color have less access to technology than Caucasians and definitely less than individuals that uh, are well off. So if we don't push some policy changes, you know, at some point we've got to sit back and say, how do we make sure that our kids from three and up have access to the internet, right? From three and up and have access to devices, whether it's at their libraries, at school, that's current, that will allow them to have a pleasant compute experience. No, I appreciate it. That's a, no, that's a great answer just on the inequity of the availability of, uh, of IT. So definitely appreciate that. If you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about, a little bit more, I guess, about um, how, how did you actually go about like uh, beginning your own company? Um, and I, I think you said it before, but I didn't catch it earlier. How long have you been running your own company? So in 2016, June of 2016, we stood up BC United. So we've been in business six and a half years. And, and quite frankly, you know, when I went to business school, we used to hear the, the horror stories about starting your own business. And most organizations don't last a year. After year three, a good percentage of the companies drop out of the space after year five. Uh, year five is supposed to be the magical year. And so if you can survive five years, typically uh, you're doing something right. You, you made it through the lean years and have moved forward. And so we're six and a half years in. And so uh, I have to tell you, it's ironic during COVID. COVID was one of our best years, right? And so we're 100% remote. We're working from home, but our client portfolio grew like hockey stick, right? Our revenue grew like hockey stick. And so we had organizations calling us and saying, hey, I need a customized solution or, hey, I need... Um, new equipment, or hey, um, I, I need new cybersecurity policies. I got all my people working at home and, and they're sharing their passwords and they're, they're using their kids' devices and, or we're getting hit with ransomware or we don't have access to our payroll system or our file system or our billing system anymore because we've been compromised. And so we have advised organizations from the local community centers, small construction companies owned by African-Americans to Fortune, to government agencies, as well as the Fortune 100 companies. So they, they called us and said, hey, help. And so the, one of the best things that I will tell you is that when you have a client that is happy and like your work, they have a tendency to talk about it. And so after we delivered what I would call quality work, we had CEOs saying, dude, this is McKinsey-like work without the McKinsey price tag. And those of you that don't know McKinsey, McKinsey is, is one of the top consultant companies in nationwide or even globally. 
And so to, for, for us to be compared to an organization like that, delivering quality work to help organizations create new strategies or to help organization take $5 million of costs out of their operation year after year, that's quality work. And, and as long as we continue to produce that kind of work, we believe that we will continue to grow as an organization. And, and, and our hope is, is that maybe, maybe one day we can be a mini David Stewart. You know, maybe one day we can have uh, clients globally that we're satisfied. So by me spending 33 years in large corporate, I don't have another 30 years of runway. So, but what I'm trying to do is hire our young brothers and sisters, put them in position of engineer or cell directors and pairing them with other executives that had three decades in the field to teach them technology, teach them about businesses, to teach them about selling. So they maybe one day can open up their own company and be the next Dave Stewart. The future is for the people that are younger than us. And so the best thing I can do is continue to grow EC United, continue to hire our brothers and sisters and top talent from the community and help them grow and develop and be role models and, and, and help educate them on how to grow a business. And then hopefully one day they'll, they'll actually do that. When I started the show, I said, this brother is also a little league coach. So what my question is, a lot of brothers that I talk to that in their mind, okay, I've made it. I'm a millionaire. My business is booming. But let's talk about the importance of being a community leader, being a figure in your community. So, because I feel like a lot of people, like when you mentioned the different artists, but the brothers that we don't know about, I feel like the best way to do that is to be active in our community. But a lot of brothers that I meet, once they make it, they're kind of, they don't go to the community anymore. So can you just elaborate on that and, and some of the moves that you're making as well in our community? Because I mean, you are in Chicago, so. Yeah, so, so, so for clarification, I used to coach Little League Baseball for eight years on the south side of Chicago in the heart of the community. And it was a, a what we would call a, an elite team. It was a traveling team. And so the league that I, that I coached in, they would get all the best players, whether, whether it was the eight, nine, 10 year olds or the 11 and 12 year olds, they would get them all together and they would put them on a traveling team. And so I used to be a, a little league baseball coach for a traveling team. Now the team, all African-American brothers, right? Young brothers, nine, 10, 11, 12, right? They were two different brackets. And so these brothers, these young brothers, um, all their hearts are in the right place. They want to, and they're good, right? And they want to play in the bigs. But one thing that I used to all, I tell them all, if we can get you through college, we, we succeed. We succeeded at what we were trying to do. Not everybody will be good enough to go to the bigs, but all of you are good enough to go to college. And when you 
college, we got a twofer going on, right? So what do we got going on? We get an opportunity, you get an opportunity to play baseball at a high level, but then at the same time, you get an opportunity to get a discounted college degree. And then you can come back to our communities and give back. And so let me tell you about the makeup of the Little League team on the south side of Chicago. We would have 12 kids on the team. Nine of those 12 kids came from single family homes. Do pause for a second. For the majority of those kids, I was the only male, positive male role model that was in their lives. And in the summertime, we were together at least six times a week. You're talking about commitment. And so there are times, man, I have to navigate Chicago's traffic driving from downtown, trying to get on the south side of Chicago. I still got my suit on, my corporate uniform on, get to the park just in time to start practice on time. But I also realized that some of these kids didn't have exposure to some of the fundamentals that we take for granted. For example, they didn't have a brother in the household to teach them how to tie a tie. And for some reason, we don't have the right organizations or organizations for our young brothers and sisters to teach them how to navigate corporate America or how to shake a hand appropriately or how to look somebody in the eye when they're talking to them. It's ironic, however, we have organizations in place for our young girls. So my daughter got into Girl Scouts through our church and oh, by the way, Every Saturday, they're meeting. They're teaching the girls how to write a check. They're teaching the girls how to dress appropriately. They're teaching the girls how to sit at a dinner table appropriately, where the silverware should go and where the napkins can go and where the glasses should go. Who's teaching our brothers those fundamentals? So sometimes we talk about it's all about the skill. Well, yeah, but there's other things. So if I'm going to do business with you, I may invite you out to lunch. And if you don't know how to sit at the lunch counter or sit at the dinner table and how to and where your glass or your wine or your beer should go when we're at that table, it tells me something about your upbringing or it tells me something about your skills. And unfortunately, we get written off as saying we don't have the fundamentals to succeed in business because we don't know some of the basic stuff. So what we would try to do with our kids that we got their full attention two, sometimes three hours a day for six days a week during the summer months, we would not only talk about baseball and the skills of hitting a ball and running the bases and catching a ball, but we would also talk about mental toughness and just to let them know that life ain't no crystal stair, that you're gonna have to be mentally tough to succeed in this society because people are gonna doubt you no matter how good you are. So when Jackie Robinson ran around those bases or ran the first or caught the ball at first, guess what? He was getting spiked, he was getting spit on. People were talking about screwing his wife or screwing his mama. They were mentally trying to get in his head. And so as an athlete, when we used to play basketball as an athlete, I'm going there. When we used to play basketball as an athlete, we get on a court. If somebody was killing us, you know what we would do? 
We would try to get in their head. We would try to slow them down mentally, help them lose their focus. And so when we teach our young brothers and sisters in the community about dribbling a basketball, catching a baseball, we also got to talk about the other aspects of life. And that is they've got to develop mental toughness because most people are not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And then we've got to prepare them for life after sports. And so while we got their attention, we also got to teach them the fundamentals. When you talk to me, young man, you look me in my eye. So why is Deion Sanders so successful in Mississippi at Jackson State? That's because he knows how to talk to these boys and treat them like young men. But he talks more than the X's and O's that are on the, on the football field. He's also providing them with life lessons that's going to prepare them for the future, right? And so as a coach, my coaching days are over with now. But as a coach, that's what we used to do. And that's what I used to do. Now, I'm a firm believer that if you're a person of color, you need to be doing one of three things. You need to either be giving your time, you need to even provide your talent, or you need to be providing your treasure. You need to be writing a check. So if you can't get back to the community and if you can't coach those little kids, you need to be writing a check to support them. Or if you got to find a way to say, hey, how do I take some of my talent, my knowledge, my understanding of the world, of the business world, of how to build wealth or how to gain wealth? You need to be educating folks along the way. So you need to do one of those three things. So today I write a lot of checks. As much as I can, I try to touch my brothers and sisters, whether it's through my church or through my alumni school. But you gotta figure out how to give back and that needs to be fundamental. So at EC United, giving back is part of our DNA. We gotta help our young brothers and sisters. In Chicago, the Latino population will eventually run the city of Chicago. And let me tell you what I'm seeing. So remember, I'm new to the business world as an entrepreneur. Some of our African-American companies will help one another. Some will reach out and say, hey, Brother Wheeler, we know you're new to the entrepreneur game. Let me help you. The Latinos in the city of Chicago are helping one another at an unbelievable rate. And it's not this crab in a barrel kind of attitude. It is like, we're going to help lift you up because we know you're going to lift up our people. And when I said they're going to run the city of Chicago, they will eventually become the mayor of the city of Chicago. There is no question in my mind about that. The Latino companies, Chicago O'Hare Airport, Chicago Midway Airport, they got a massive expansion underway for Every job that they go to RFP, they go out to bid, one African-American company applies to do that work compared to four Latino companies. So if there's 10 bids or if there's 12 bids on a given project, two are African-American, eight are Latinos. So what's going on? They're creating more companies. They're creating more small and mid-sized companies than African-Americans. 
which means that they're going to get more of the projects. They're going to get more of the government money. They're going to get more of the private industry money than the African-American brothers because they're creating more jobs and they're creating more companies. And if it's happening in Chicago, we know it's happening in, in, in DC and we know it's happening in Baltimore. And we know some of that same stuff is happening in other large cities. So we've got to figure out how can we open up jobs? How can we create companies? And then how can we hire African-Americans, our brothers and sisters, our black, brown brothers and sisters, and put them to work. We're being outworked. And the fact that we don't partner up, we don't help one another. So I go off with other professionals. And at times I sit back and I just shake my head. Say, dude, you run a large company and you know I just started my company. And not one time that you say, how can I help you? Think about that for a second. I'm pouring my life savings into developing a technology company, trying to grow a technology. I made a pivot in my career and became an entrepreneur. And we've got brothers and sisters around us that are successful businessmen that are working for the man or working for these large corporations. And they don't pause and say, how can I help you? What's wrong with that picture? Now, conversely, I want to say, I've been amazed by the people that have stood up and did exactly that. In some cases, I don't even have a relationship with. But those are the folks that I say, they get it. They understand what wealth building is about. They understand what the entrepreneurial world is all about. And that is, you can't do this alone. You have to help others. And you got to help them grow. And then maybe one day it'll come back. We got to figure out, how do we get back into the community? How do we employ the brothers and sisters in the community? How do we write checks or spend some of our time educating people about the different industries that we're specialists in so we can help uplift our brothers and sisters in the community? And I believe, and I'm going to come back to this, I believe technology is the field that we need to introduce to our brothers and sisters. So I started this down this path and I didn't finish my thought. 700,000 new jobs created every year that are going unfulfilled in the U.S. And then there's 400,000 jobs where people leave a company and go take another job that opens up. So we got about 1.1 million jobs a year that's readily available and about 400,000 of those are actually getting filled. So when I was young, 45 years ago, probably this month, a nun, N-U-N, a nun said, Wheeler, what are you going to do after high school? And I said, I'm going to try to get into college. However, I don't know what I'm going to study. I said, one thing that I know is that I can't afford to go to college for four years and not get a job afterwards. So brother Corey, I just want you to know, I grew up in the projects on the west side of Chicago. And so I had my share of lean years. And then when I got to high school, my mom moved us from the west, the projects on the west side of Chicago to a safer neighborhood, which is known today as Inglewood out of Chicago, which is one of the roughest neighborhoods in the city. 
So but that was a safer place for me to grow up and finish my high school years. So one thing I knew is that I could not get a degree and not find a way to feed myself. So this nun said, Wheeler, computers are the field of the future. Maybe you should study computers. And you know what I told her? Yeah, maybe I should study computers. From that point forward, she planted the seed. I call that my heavenly message that came from a nun, right? That heavenly message has led me to where I'm at today. So I decided to study computers and I fell in love with it. It became my passion. I went to bed thinking about writing code and writing software and influencing million dollar machines to do what I wanted to do. It became my passion. And then I got a job after college and five years after being in the software development space, I got promoted to a leadership role. And I worked my way up to becoming a chief information technology officer. And then now the CEO of Executive Consultant United. So I've seen a lot and I know how technology changed my life. It provided me with the fundamentals, right? Food, clothing, health. But then as I got better and better at it, it gave me the opportunity to see the world. It gave me an opportunity to help build my portfolio. It gave me an opportunity to now provide jobs to others. And so I try to encourage our young brothers and sisters, you need to look into technology. There's so many roles. You don't have to write software. You can do something else. But there's so many, there's hundreds of specialty fields within the technology industry that our young brothers and sisters need to think about so they can, they, they can, one, take care of their fundamentals, and then two, hopefully start building generational wealth. So earlier you said, as a people, we're afraid of technology. Um, what do you mean by that? Or could you, uh, you know, go a little bit more into what you mean by that? As a people, anything that we don't know about, we kind of shy away from, right? And so uh, think about this for a second. We all have a computer in our hands. And it's usually with us, you know, 20 or 24 hours a day, right? And we call this computer a phone, right? And, but it's really a computer. It has more horsepower than the computer that put the first man on the moon. And it's mind boggling, this, if I can say, this little device that I call a phone, which is really a computer, it, it allows me to have access to the world. And many of us don't know about half of the capabilities that are on that device. And, and so we just have a tendency as a people to shy away from the unknown. And that way, wherever the wind is blowing, sometimes we're, we're foolish enough to accept it as the gospel. But the reality is that technology can fundamentally change our world, the efficiency of what we do, how we do it. And we need to find a way to say, hey, how do we embrace it from a very young age to an old age? And so I got a grandkid. I had two grandkids when they were, when one was two, the other one was four. I went out and brought them iPads. Think about it. A four-year-old walking around with an iPad. Now we put some locks on it and we put a, a, a kid-friendly 
device around it so they wouldn't break it and that kind of stuff. But we gave them a tool where they can start educating themselves and learning about technology and not be afraid of it. We've got to figure out how to do that for our young and old. So um, the internet, the internet has been around since 1983. The internet has information about anything we want to learn about. So we have just put a library in the hands of all our people that have access to the internet. Therefore, it should be the primary vehicle we use to learn about any topic or any interest we may have. And all I'm saying, brother, is that we've got to encourage our young and old to embrace this technology, right? And not be afraid of it. All right, before I let you go, man, because, you know, like I said, we talk about generational wealth, but part of that, a lot, a lot of millennials these days love the stock market. They love the crypto, but you're an IT guy. So I just want to know in your portfolio, if I'm looking to, I already know you got Microsoft on there, but I'm just saying, give us some <laughs> stock tips, brother. Let's go. Yeah, man. So I, a wise man once told me if I didn't have $100,000 to play with, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be buying individual stock. And so, um, um, you know, I can tell you now, I also uh, was told that if you don't understand it, you shouldn't be putting your money in it, right? And so um, there's a level of maturity that I think crypto and all that other stuff still has to go through. I think there's some regulations that still have to be put in place. I can tell you my money is not in that space. And, um, and do, yes, I buy individual stock, but for the most part, um, I, I, I let um, my money ride with uh, investors that, that, that typically buy a array of uh, industry-based stock versus uh, individuals. Okay, so you're a group stock player. I got you. Okay. I got you. Listen, I can't let you slide off here without knowing some of the stock game because it's interesting to hear, you know, each guest that we have from different walks of life, but every one of you guys are successful. It's just interesting how the money gets divvied into different areas. But, you know, that's why I always try to ask all the brothers that come on here that question because I'll, I'll, you know, with you, especially with the IT. You know, yeah. obviously I would know, I already know you got some Microsoft in there. I already know that. You don't even have to tell me. <laughs> yeah. So, so Microsoft, we, 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 we sell Microsoft software, right? So, so we resell their, their, their software and either their, their equipment. So what I will, will say this, Corey, related to the stock market, I think more of our people need to want to learn about the stock market, right? And then I also think they need to invest in it from a very early age, man, when I started working in corporate, right? So I was making 20, 21,000 a year. You know, once again, a wise man told me, hey, just take a, a little bitty percentage of the money that you make. You know, if you can take 10% of every dollar that you make and put it in the stock market consistently, paycheck after paycheck, you're doing what a little, what, what is known as dollar cost averaging. You know, you buy when the market's up, you buy when the market's down, but you're still buying and you're still accumulating stock month after month, week after week, and then just let it ride. So 40 years later, boy, look at that portfolio. You'll be in really good shape. So if we can find, as a people, if we can find the discipline 
to invest consistently in the stock market or invest in real estate. I'm a big, I believe in real estate. I'm a big real estate guy. I think you, we need to find a way to invest in real estate. We need to find a way to bet, invest in, in the stock market. The thing about real estate with the redlining that takes place for a lot of our people, sometimes our real estate investment, it doesn't, it doesn't appreciate as well as, uh, because, because of, you know, many, in, at least in Chicago, you know, Chicago is probably one of the most segregated cities in, in, in all of the U.S., and so when I brought my house on the south side of Chicago, I knew my house wasn't going to appreciate more than 5% a year for, for the next five to 10 years. I just knew that. The appraisers that are going to come in and appraise my property, they're not going to let it, they're not going to let it appreciate that much. They're going to undervalue it. And so, so sometimes we're in a dilemma when we're trying to buy real estate and we're trying to stay in our neighborhood and we're trying to be role models for our kids in our neighborhood by letting them see a two-family household and seeing a black man taking care of his yard and all that other stuff. Our property don't appreciate as much as if I was investing in, say, the north side of Chicago or in a neighborhood that was mixed. And so, so, but we still cannot run away from real estate. We have to invest in real estate. We also have to invest in the stock market. I'm a big, big proponent of both of them. There you have it. Willa Coleman, thanks for coming on Black Man Sunday, brother. First off, did you enjoy yourself, brother? I did. This was this was a pleasure, man, and I, but I enjoyed being here. I enjoyed talking to you guys. And if there's any time that, that uh, you would like to have me back, I'd love to come back and hang out with you guys. Oh, definitely, man. I think we got some and some and I got a cherry on top with a little whipped cream on my ice cream. So we good to go, brother. Thanks for coming on Black Men Sunday. Willa Coleman, CEO of EC United, black owned, certified and consulting technology firm in Chicago to Windy City, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate all of you. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put on childish things.